This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Traveling is an important part of the foundational makeup of any architect. The act of being exposed to different cultures, climates, materials, and spatial solutions is an ongoing life adventure that typically feeds our creative process. The pandemic has made traveling difficult for just about everyone, but that doesn't mean we aren't going to talk about it anyways. Welcome to episode 91, Architects and Traveling. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we are talking about traveling, specifically architects and traveling, because speaking candidly, I think we do it differently than everyone else. Oh, I thought you were going to say speaking candidly because we are architects, but yeah. <laughs> but I think both are true in this case, right? This is true. Yeah. So there's a couple of reasons why I want to talk about this show. One was I just got back from an amazing vacation. Yeah, I'm totally jealous. It looked fantastic. Well, okay, we're going to get into that, but I can tell you that I shared some photos and people are like, what is this crazy vacation you're going on? It seems like the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of all vacations. Mm. And I went, all right, I should talk about it because so many people brought it up. So architects and traveling. I think there's a little more meat on the bone than how I spent the last two weeks. But nonetheless, we're going to talk about architects and traveling. As I was sitting down to prepare the run sheet for today's episode, I was kind of thinking back on previous trips I'm taking. Honestly, I've been really lucky. Let me preface this whole conversation with, I think I've traveled more than most people. That sounds like a brag. Let me back that up. <laughs> because my wife, when we got married and we were younger, she had a consulting job where she flew somewhere every Monday and flew back every Thursday. Mm, yeah. And during that time, she had rental cars, she had hotels, she's flying literally someplace every single week. And on one hand, the policy of the company she worked for was she didn't have to come home. She'd go wherever she wanted. And the cost of the ticket was applied towards that travel. So for, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So for example, she was working on a project in Omaha, Nebraska at one point. And there was only one direct flight in and out between Dallas and Omaha. And it was like a $1,200 ticket. So she had a $1,200 travel credit every single week to come home. And so if we decided, hey, let's go to New York for the weekend because they're having a mm -hmm. sale and it's a $300 ticket. Well, that's $600 for us to get to New York. And we have another $600 to pay for a hotel or to pay for food or pay for whatever we want because she had this voucher. So we took yeah. a lot of trips when we were younger because it was basically covered. The other nice benefit from that was she had status on like the airline. She had like a yeah. billion miles, hotel yeah. points. So we went to Paris. We went to Italy. I mean, we took a bunch of trips where we didn't have to pay for anything but the food we ate when we got there. We didn't have to pay for a hotel. And because of her status, we would always get bumped up to like the best room that hotel had to offer if it was in the chain where she had points. So. I still remember this one time we were in Italy and we went to Florence and we stayed in like a castle. It was right on this square. It was amazing. Nice. We opened up the door to our room. There's frescoes on the ceiling. I mean, it is a humongous room. And we're wearing tennis shoes. I mean, we're like in our early 20s. And everybody else is having like their limo drivers pick them up and take them places. And I'm sure we walked in. They're like, hey, hey. Deliveries around the back. <laughs> yeah, the kitchen staff comes in the other side. Yeah. We couldn't afford to have a drink in the bar. I mean, like, we, I mean, it was, and we're like, wow, yeah, this hotel's yeah. super nice. Let's see if we can extend it a day. And they're like, uh, the room is $1,700 a night. We're like, okay, we're checking out tomorrow. And yeah, it was early. Yeah. It's fast. <laughs> so we were able to do a lot of these trips when we were younger, even though we didn't have capital means. If somebody had to pay for it, this would be an unreasonable thing for people to do. Yeah, I've got a buddy of mine that I went to architecture school with that his wife, when he got married, she was a consultant for, I don't know, one of those big consulting companies, Ernst & Young. She did that like every week. She was flying somewhere else and raking up the points and the miles and all that. And he's traveled a lot to like Malaysia and Japan and all these places because they don't pay for it. Like you said, they just pay for food. Yeah. She still works for them. So even now that they've had a kid, they still go on these, it used to be like smaller excursions, but now once a year they take a big trip to wherever. 
Yeah. I'm sure it's mostly paid for because of that kind of stuff. It always made me jealous. Like, I want to be a consultant so I can just, <laughs> but I don't think I would want to fly. That amount. Get on a plane on Monday, get on a Friday and be like, that's my commute. Blah. I don't think I would do it. It's definitely a grind. Yeah. You know, so I think it was 2016 and 2019, I think. Went to China in both those years. Mm. And mm -hmm. we just used miles to go. Yeah. And yeah. well, my wife was working there the first time we went. So 2016, went with my wife, she was working there. So, so we used miles to get me there. Her company paid for her to get there and for the hotel room. So I just stayed there. We went to yeah. Shanghai for just under a week. And then we went to, they called a town, a town of 8 million <laughs> to Hangzhou was the next place we went. It was amazing. Mm. And my daughter didn't get to go because she was in school and this was a work trip. So we went during the week. And so yeah. she was like, not happy about it, but. Not petulant, <laughs> you know, but she's yeah, like, yeah, but still. she's like, I wish I could have gone to China. So. Missing out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and since we have just the one kid, we have decided that generally we let her pick the destination of the one big place that we go. So she usually has some reason for wanting to go where she wants to go. Gotcha. And so a couple of years later, we let her chose and she said, I want to go to China. So we went back to Shanghai, but then we went to Beijing after that, you know, went to the old town much older mm -hmm. city Beijing is. And it was amazing, you know, and like the exposure that you get to culture and the food and things are so different there. It's, it's wild. But I was going back through all the places I've been and I looked at it and I go, 2018 for me was a spectacular year of traveling. So I started writing down the places I went and this is just one year. I was blown away by this. In 2018, you ready? Mm -hmm. I went to the UK. I went to Ireland. And these are not the same trips, by the way. Wasn't like I went one trip and we went to these places. These were, I flew there, I flew home. I flew there, I flew home kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I went to the UK, I went to Ireland, I went to Germany, I went to Finland, right? Those were all international destinations in that year. Mm -hmm. But then in the US, I flew to Washington. I was in California three separate times. I was in Florida, Wisconsin, New York, Illinois, New Jersey, Utah, and Maine. All separate trips. I don't think I'll ever top that. And that's a lot of travel. Yeah. For a person who doesn't have to travel for work. But how many of those were work? Some of them? No. Actually, Wisconsin was work. That was for work. Oh. Well, I take that back. You know, me going giving a lecture someplace, I don't really count that as work, right? Okay. I would count that as work, but yeah. I don't because you go and you do 90 minutes or whatever, and then you've got days to go explore, which is part okay. of what happens when we travel to these places, right? All right. And- What's nice about it is, and this is kind of a sword that cuts both ways, so I guess it just depends on you as a person. I know that when I travel, work becomes stressful for me because I don't do well working off my phone. When I get emails, I do not like responding to emails on my phone. It doesn't register the same in my brain as if I'm sitting at a desktop. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. It's like, it's like social media emails if it's on my phone. As opposed to like real, I need something from you emails. So I get a little stressed if I'm trying to work remotely as opposed to, hey, I'm on going on vacation and I'm not going to do anything, so don't expect it. But quite honestly, I haven't had a vacation where I just said, you're not going to hear from me for the next week. Yeah. That almost never happens for me anymore. Yeah. But I do get downtime. And I think that recharging your creative batteries, that's a big part of what I think people get from the act of traveling. I know that you don't do as much traveling as I do, but I know that your trip to Colorado that you do every year, yeah, that's like a lifesaver for you. And that actually is like a week of nothing because I'm in a place where there is no service unless I climb to the top of the continental divide, <laughs> you know, and I'm not doing that every day. But yeah, that is a nice break always. The first time I ever did it, I was scared to death though. I own my own business and I was just leaving <laughs> and I was leaving my way. How many ever six or eight employees by themselves that do work and there was no way they were going to get a hold of me. And I was like, I hope I don't come back and it's burnt to the ground, <laughs> you know, yeah. or something. Yeah. But after that first year, then it was like, man, I'm out. Like everything was fine and it worked out. And I was like, I'm out of here. I'm man, done. That's a nice bit of peace of mind. I will tell you. So before I came to Boca Pal and I was in a small firm, when I left, nobody's doing my job when I'm not there. Yeah. So it was a, you destroy yourself leading up to your vacation. Like you're like, I'm going to be gone a week. So I need to work like two weeks worth of work in this one week. 
I could get out in front Maybe. of everything. Yeah. That's at least how I felt. And I said, that's your mentality. On yeah. It, sure and then that. I would come home to a big pile of, you suck on my desk because <laughs> no one has done, like they're doing their jobs, but like I said, nobody's doing my job. Yeah. And it's a little different in a big firm because I've got, you know, I got an army of people that are qualified and talented and they don't need me to tell them every little move. But it is different since we started the residential studio. I've got an army of like really intelligent, smart, young people that don't necessarily know what they're doing. And I can't just say, all right, good luck for the next nine days. <laughs> it's hard. It's really, really hard. You can, but it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. I know you can't. I know. I feel sorry for those people. I'm not mean, though. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't. It's just not your mentality. Right? And again, I wasn't, but it's finally like I just learned I had to. I had to just be like, nah, I'm good. You know, you talk about best years, and I don't remember what it was. It's probably around the same time period, maybe pre-pandemic. I don't know if it was 17 or 18, but I traveled all over the country quite a bit going to various things. Not a lot of, I mean, I guess it's still work-related, but not work-related if you're conventions and those kinds of things, right? But I mean, I think it was in Chicago twice, Vegas twice, out west, and then all kinds of places all over Texas. And then, but a lot of trips that one year. It might have been like over the span of one year, but not just all contained in right. 2018 or something. But yeah, I think I had to get to a point where I could just say, it's going to be fine. And if it's not, then it'll be fine when I get back and I'll work on it then. I kind of ruined my first trip to Colorado being so obsessively worried about what was happening. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? We have a lot of, uh, well, I mean, I assume, I don't know all the numbers, but I know that we get a fair number of small firm or sole practitioners that listen to the show. And, you know, one of the things that I hear every now and then, and I know that, I mean, I'm sure that you've fallen victim to this thinking at one time or another, and it's the idea that you have to pay yourself to go on holiday. Because yeah, if yeah. you're not working, you're not getting paid. And there's, there's not this, being money being made. There's no money of. being made. And so it makes the idea of going on a trip or taking time off like that much harder to do when you're in a very, very small firm or you're a sole practitioner, like you have to recognize the value of doing it because you know no money's being generated while you're gone. Yeah. Because in reality, it's kind of like double jeopardy. You're not making any money and you're also spending money. It's like a double whammy. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm not making any money right now and I'm also spending money. But I think that would be worse if I was a sole practitioner. I would feel that way. But when I had employees, they were making money. I mean, they were doing work. It may not have been as much as when I was there, but they were still doing work. I mean, they had things. I spent most of my time the week before was like lining out things. This is what you have to do next week. Everybody got a to-do list so that I could leave and be gone. And they're still being productive. Yeah. But I think that's true. You have to realize and recognize the benefit of it and make it happen. Well, let me ask you this. So how do you prepare for traveling? So when you, you <laughs> I don't mean like, well, I take my suitcase out of the luck. I don't mean yeah, like I that. I pack extra? No. Yeah. yeah. That's an interesting question because I think I can guarantee we do it differently, you and I. Well, you might be surprised by how I answer the question, but like planning and research and when, what days are we doing what activities? All that, like, <laughs> how do you do that? Yeah, but I'm not that structured, honestly. I look up places that I want to go. I look up places that I want to eat. I look up places that I want to drink. Mm -hmm. I look at places that I want to go visit because most of my, a majority of my travel is usually, I mean, I'm the only architect person that cares about this stuff. So I have to be delicate and like over structuring that stuff. So I have to keep it pretty loose. I haven't gone on a big trip by myself to just really dive into it and be crazy. Maybe one day I will. I play it pretty loose if I can, which I know that doesn't surprise you at all. It doesn't surprise <laughs> me at all. I can totally see you saying, here's five places. I'm going to X. Here's five things I want to see. Here's eight places I'd like to eat at. And here's four bars I want to go to. Yep. There's no structure to this today, eat there, drink that. Yep. No, you yeah, just yeah, like no. whatever it is. Whatever happens. Yeah. Totally see that happening. Now, for sport, I would like <laughs> you to describe how you think it happens on my trips. Oh, I feel like it's all very structured. I feel like you have an agenda and a planner. So like this day, we're going to do these three things. And then this day, we're going to do these three things. Because you've got to schedule stuff and got an appointment to go visit this place at this time. And th 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 I feel like you're very, very scheduled and structured in that way. All right. That's a reasonable guess. And you are 100% wrong. Oh, come on. No. You know what? 
I don't plan any of our trips. <laughs> well, that doesn't surprise me either. I don't plan any of them. So my wife does 100% of it. Yeah. Literally. She'll say, is there anything you want to do? And I'm like, I'm sure whatever you choose is going to be fine. Yeah. But then when we get there, there'll be certain things I might go, you know, it'd be nice if we could do A, B, C, D, or E. I let her figure out if that's going to work into our schedule. She says, hey, this day we're doing this. So she puts a lot more structure to it. But the structure is never, we will be here on this day and we will eat at that. It's never that structured. But normally it's based on where we are and things that we want to do. Yeah. And she tells me, you know what? And the truth is, I believe this 100%. She talks about how stressful it is for her to take on that role, even though I know she enjoys it, right? Because she does it. I don't like doing it, and so I don't do it, <laughs> right? Yeah. She does it, I think, because she enjoys it, but then she feels the pressure of, what if I say, we're going to go do X, and we go, and it's like, sucks. Yeah. And then I have ruined a little piece of our vacation. I know that that goes through her head. I know that she is considerate in that regard. But the other part that's kind of interesting is, you know, I, I just took my trip to Finland, which we've been twice, mm -hmm. right? We went in 2018, and then we went again this year. When we went 2018, we went almost at the same time. It was the very end of November through like the first week or so in December. My daughter did not come. She was in school. So I parked her at a friend of mine's house. My friend Tom was the best man at my wedding. He and his significant other were like, yeah, we'll take her. And they had, a, they had a fun time. My wife and I went and we did two or three days of nothing but architecture mm -hmm. while we were there. I was like, hey, we're going to go here. We're going to look at all these Alto buildings. We're going to go to his foundation and we're going to go look at the house we're going to go to the bookstore we're going to look at the doorknobs and we're going to look at the light fixtures we're going to go we did all that stuff and my wife was a great sport about it but that only represented like 50 percent of our time yeah this most recent trip that did have my daughter on it included none of those things <laughs> we didn't do a single <laughs> architectural thing on the whole trip. Yeah, but that's really not true. But go ahead. I think that's probably what you were going to get to. Well, that's what I was going to say. So there wasn't really like a destination like, oh, this is a significant building and it was done in 1937 by this person and this is an important moment in this style. None of that. Yeah. But that did not stop me from looking at how things were built and how they were detailed. And, you know, like when we're in yeah. the, we're up in Laplands and the Arctic Circle and I'm like looking at how the roofs are designed and how they do ease and are there gutters and. Do they keep snow on the building? Yeah. Wondering how thick the wall is to keep it warm. Yes. And like even the, and again, my wife found it. We rented this amazing apartment. We we're in Helsinki. Mm. And it was so hot in this apartment. <laughs> First off, when I say it's freezing, I don't literally mean it was below freezing, which it was. I mean, it was like five or yeah. 10 below zero. I mean, it was really, really cold. And we are inside our unit going, why is it so hot in here? Like we're turning down the air as low as possible. It's so well insulated. All the doors are double doors. Like you open up one door to then open up another door to go in a building envelope. Oh. Everything's super thick and super insulated. We're like opening up windows just to let five degree air in so that we're not dying of heat on the inside. Yeah. So yeah, we look at architecture just as a matter of moving through the environment as opposed to, hey, let's take a tour and look at in this case, it's all Alvaralto, like all of it. Yeah. Everyone whose not name is Alvaralto is like, dang it. Why do I got to live in the one city where everybody knows the name of an architect? Yeah. Pick any city anywhere and go, can you tell me the name of an architect? In Helsinki, 100% of the people will say, Alvaralto. Alvaralto. Like he's, <laughs> yeah. he's on our $50 bill. Yeah. He's like a national treasure. Yes. And, and every other architect's like, man, this is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the value of traveling as an architect. We've kind of hit on a few things. I mentioned it during my the introductory to the episode, and it talked about the value of being exposed to different cultures and climates and like how do they treat their buildings differently if it's hot, humid, or hot, arid, or cold, or if it's in a snow environment. What type of materials do they use? Is it masonry? Is it wood? Is it it's different everywhere you go and it and it speaks to what type of craftsmen do they have, what kind of trades do they have? Like, for example, when I did the cabin up in Wisconsin, there's no masons up there. Like, very, very few masons. Yeah. And so- They don't build anything out of brick. Don't detail yeah. anything with brick because you're going to pay like a super premium to make that happen. Yeah. Or I can tell you the amount of wood used everywhere we went in Finland was profound. Like- It was ridiculous. Yeah. Everything is, everything is wood. 
And the thing that's so funny is if I suggested on one of my residential projects, which I would love to do, by the way, say, hey, we should use wood on the outside. They're like, I don't want to take care of that. Mm -hmm. How often am I going to treat it and prep it and stain it and paint it or whatever the case may be? It's going to rot. It's going to twist. It's going to warp. Like where you go informs you on like, how do they build and what kind of roof forms they have? And do they move air differently based on how the buildings are designed? And how do they treat their windows? And like Kate and I were driving down the road and I was like, look at this, this like multifamily development, because this is one of the things that's interesting about Finland. Most of the population is kind of clustered into just a couple of cities. Mm -hmm. And then like, I don't know, I'm making up this number, but it's, I'm probably not that far off. Like 80% of the country is undeveloped. Yeah. And that's on purpose. They love their wilderness. So they're like, we're all going to live in in the city. Density in the city. Together. So that we- well, That makes it warmer. Yeah. So we can, we're all huddling together for body warmth. Yeah. So that we can go out into the wilderness and enjoy our lakes and our trails and our trees and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. It seems like everything is made out of wood up there. Mm -hmm. And that's not true here. No. I wouldn't think to use wood. Which is funny because- well, we got a lot of wood, and there are northern climates here, and it's still stuff not made of wood. I mean, it makes me laugh you're talking about that. I've been replacing a lot of wood siding on my house in the past mm -hmm. over the break. And yeah, I'm I'm like, oh, I love my wood siding, but I hate it. It needs so much attention. But Yeah, it becomes a main item. Yeah, I think the other thing that you talk about, right, is that even if I don't go on an architectural trip or I'm traveling for some other reason that doesn't even have anything to do with it, I'm still soaking all that stuff up. And I think we just look at stuff different as architects. I look at the way that streets are laid out and the, the buildings are put together. And, you know, some of my other favorite things is when I, oh, they don't have a, they don't have a building code here. They don't have ADA requirements here because there's all kinds of crazy stuff happening. And you're like, yeah, that's not, we could never do that here. But it's those interesting things to see how other people solve problems, whether they're any kind of scale of an architectural design problem that you can then bring home and put in your pocket or somewhere that maybe you can adapt or realize that that's a way to solve it um, that you just don't get. Even if you're looking at books and stuff, it's just different. Yeah. You know? Well, no, it's funny. I did say how much wood they use in Finland. They do do a lot of masonry buildings. I mean, some of the best work that Alvarado did clearly was masonry. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's funny. I have a guy that I work with. His name is Luis. and He works with me on pretty much every project that I work on. So he gets brought up. I ought to pay him dividends because I he gets brought up so often. Yeah, it's like, I know the name. I couldn't put a face to it. But yeah, I hear you talking. I know. About it. Yeah. So he always, I mean, like every day he shares from some random website, some couple groovy projects. Oh, yeah. And literally 100% of the time, they're not in the US. Right? They're never <laughs> yeah. in the US. And he'll show something. I'll go, man, we can't build that here. There's like no handrail. Right? Of course, those stairs look amazing, but you can't do yeah. that. And I tell my group, man, you got to start looking at American projects because <laughs> yeah. all your design language is being formed from places that won't allow us to do that. However, the materials of the stuff that he shows, because he, he's Spanish, he's, well, he's Mexican, and he looks at a lot of South American projects. Mm, yeah. And there's a lot of masonry, there's a lot of like... Holly walls, like masonry screen walls that are open, allow air moving through. A lot of open air environments are done because of the hot. Mm -hmm. So he shares a lot, not a lot of glass. Like it's either a small window or it's completely open. It's solid or it's open. Yeah. Yeah. And so he shares a lot of the stuff and I'm always kind of giving a little business for it. <laughs> That's exactly what I tell my students. They're like bringing me these projects and go, look, I could do this. And I'm like, nope, not here. Not, not here. here. You can't. Yep. Yeah. Well, so even when I don't take trip for architectural purposes, I still find a way to make it about architecture. Even if I'm not talking about it with my wife and daughter, because, you know, there's, they have a bandwidth. Sure. They have a, a cup of how much they can take. <laughs> All non-architects have a bandwidth for that. And it, it's pretty small. Most people, you might get a little bit more because they're married to you, but just common folk. Nope. Why? <laughs> it's a very, very small thing. You know, it's funny. <laughs> I told a bunch of people that I said, this is the episode we're recording because the trip to Finland I just took, I got so many comments on my Instagram stories about like, oh my God, what are you doing? It's crazy. That I said, well, I'll take five minutes during the next episode and I'll kind of talk about it because I highly recommend it. And one of the things I think is a little amusing is people like, you're from Texas. It's always hot there. And I go, it's not always hot here. Like we get hot and 
when it's 20 degrees outside and because of the wet bulb, it feels like four degrees. That's cold. That feels yeah, cold. That's cold. You're not walking outside yeah. in t-shirts and a short unless you're damaged in some way. Right? That's normally not how that works. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense that it could be 110 degrees in the same place that could be zero, like Fahrenheit zero. Mm-hmm. But this Christmas has been terribly hot. Like it was like 80 not that long ago. But then three days later, it was, yeah. you know, 20. It's very weird. Yeah. Three days ago, it was 82 degrees, and right now, it's like 28 degrees outside. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So, we went to Finland, and we like going at a time when we know it's going to be cold, because that's kind of the point for us. We want to go see snow. We want to go to... When it feels like it should in December, it should be cold in December. I was say, it looked very Christmassy. I was like, hmm, St. Nicholas, that just looks great. And you know what? Everybody up there looks like me. So, it's great. I fit in. You know, nobody looks at me like, who's that... 32 year old with all the white hair like that's that's just everybody up there (laughs) so we flew into helsinki we kind of broke our trip up into three chunks the smallest of which is we went to we took a ferry across the gulf of finland which is basically the baltic sea Mm -hmm. and we went to Tallinn, which is in estonia we did that for an entire day like a full-on all day long which is awesome because they have a great Christmas market, which is a lot of fun. Mm. And it's a very picturesque, not a lot of cars driving around, kind of walkable medieval city for the portion that we mm. went to. Like There's a more modern part. Yeah. But we just kind of walk through that to get to the medieval part. And yeah. there's the Christmas market and you're looking at what people are selling and it's all stuff that's like not sold here. And so it's different. So it's kind of fun. But we were in Helsinki for the first couple of days, like four or five days. Then we were in Estonia for a day. Then we came back to Helsinki to catch a flight where we went up into the Arctic circles into Lapland, a city called Rovaniemi, which is where Santa's village is. Oh. From what I understand, if you write a letter to Santa, that's where it goes. And they have like examples. They have like a giant. And for all you kids, they deliver it to Santa. Yeah, that's where it goes. From there. Yeah. And you can see where it's all there. Yeah. So they have the Santa's village and there's reindeer everywhere probably in training there's dog sleds there's is that where you went dog sledding yeah we went dog sledding there but it's it's weird because it's not like you go into santa's village and then they have like these little depots of things to do they're just all kind of clustered together Hmm. so next to santa's village and probably operated by the same people rovinium was completely destroyed during world war ii completely destroyed it's like everything's fairly new i mean santa Hmm. santa's workshop wasn't destroyed but everything else was yeah and i also had one of the cab drivers told me that that rovaniemi is the largest city in europe based on land size i'm at to fact check that but interesting so it was great so one of the things that we did we stayed in this really cool hotel i think it was called like the arctic treehouse hotel something like that like the building you come and check in at is all like sushugiban and it's black and which is striking in this complete environment of white is there a finnish name for that practice i I mean i'm just i figured probably but then they also had i want to call them they're like little casitas is what we would call them in my area of the world but they're like everybody Mm -hmm. has like your own little building a little cabin kind of thing yeah and they're on stilts and you project out into the woods and it has one giant window at the end everything's wood and you walk into it, and it's just super cool. I'll put some pictures in it. It was a really nice place to stay. Food was great because you don't really have any other options because you're in the middle of nowhere. We went out hunting the Northern Lights one night, which was kind of not fun and fun at the same time. Because it was like 18 below zero, and we're mm-hmm. walking around yeah. on frozen lakes. And what we didn't know, because it's really not a great time to go look at the Northern Lights because it's December. It snows a lot. Snow has clouds. Clouds means you can't see sky. Yeah, it's cloud cover. Right? Yeah. So, and the way that they can see it is if you don't have like one of these spectacular nights, you could have them and you just can't see them. So, the guy would set up a camera and do a timed shot to say, yes, the northern lights are here, <laughs> you know, as opposed to you just looking up and seeing toxic sky kind of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So, we got one picture with some night sky in it that my wife took from at the hotel. She just kind of took a picture and. Turns out you could see a, a wisp of green going through her shot. 
We went dog sledding, which was a great deal of fun. We actually, we were all were supposed to get our own sled, but it was so, it was like 18 below zero or something when we went to do it. And here's the other thing. You're so far north. Sunrise was 1130 a.m. Sunset was 120 p.m. Three hours later. (laughs) But it never gets like crazy dark. Like you still can kind of see. And it was the winter solstice and it was a full moon. All these things were not adding up to really having great northern light sky. So it was like five o'clock in the afternoon and it's dark. Like we're wearing headlamps to be able to see. And we go do this dog sled thing. And my wife's like, I'm too cold. The cold was getting to her at this point. She's like, I'm too Mm. cold. I don't want to do it. I just want to sit in your sled and we'll go. Let you do it. Yeah. Yeah. So my daughter had her own sled. I had my own sled. My wife was sitting in it and they hook up these dogs to us. First off, they're not as big as I thought. When I think of Huskies, I think of the Huskies that I see like where I live and they're big. These were like up to your knee. They were not that big. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, there's nothing these dogs want to do more than to run Run. They want to go. And the guy was saying, hey, look, there were three sleds on this thing that we did. And they go, you want to keep about 20 meters between each sled because these dogs, their goal in life is to get in front of the sled that's in front of them. Like they want to run, catch up and pass it. Like and shoot the little doggy middle finger to them as they go past them. As they roll by. Yeah. So I was in the back. I'm number three. So we kind of got bogged down because the people that were in first were chickens they didn't go very fast and my daughter got bogged down a little bit because you know trying to keep distance and let me tell you at a couple of moments it was pretty scary because they give you like five minutes of lessons like do this if this happens do that if that happens hang on here's the break yeah that's about it and imagine the only thing i can relate it to in my part of the world is imagine you're going inner tubing behind a boat you're in a boat and it's pulling you like you're water skiing but you're tied to a tube They take a left, Mm -hmm. you take a much wider swing on that left. We are Mm -hmm. rocketing through the woods and they're taking hard lefts. And I'm like, tree, (laughs) you're like, my leg hit a tree once and you have to stand on the back rails, right? It's Mm -hmm. not like you're standing on something that's like two inches wide. That's it. Yeah, like skis essentially. Yes. And like, I'm having to lean into the turn and we're going around trees and like, I go, we're going to flip 100% positive. We're going to roll this dog sled. But we didn't, and it was awesome. Highly recommend doing that. You know, the other thing that was kind of a fun adventure, and this is part of what we get out of traveling, right? For me, it's culture, it's lifestyle, it's how does, how they live and form the manner in which they live. I don't know if I said that in a very clear way, but it's like me, I have a house, I get up, I get in my car, I drive down highways, I get out in front of a building, I go into it, I work, and I just reverse that. That's really my day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Up there, when you see the culture and there's public spaces and there's squares and, and in places like Finland, saunas are a really big deal. I think there's actually more saunas in Finland as a country than there are human beings. And like the condo or apartment, whatever you want to call it, that we rented had one in the unit. They also had a big one down in the at the lower level. Mm. And my daughter and I took advantage of the one that was in our apartment. But then we decided to go do a public one. And for those that are curious, yes, I did do it. And then I did run out outside and jump in the Baltic Sea. That was currently 36 degrees. And let me tell you, not that bad. Not that bad. Where was that at? So the place we stayed at was called like Loily, which is a Finnish word for like the act of doing a sauna. Oh, this was though. This is when you were in. This is when we we came back on the last leg. We went back to Helsinki. Oh, in Helsinki. Okay. And there's a place that we went to. It's a public sauna. I got there's you. a bunch okay. of them, but the one we went to is kind of nice. We made dinner reservations to eat there, and they have two, and each one of them can seat between like twenty and twenty five people, depending on how up close and personal you want to get with one another. Oh, in the sauna. You mean. In the sauna, and you go yeah. in, and first off, it's super hot. It's a public sauna, so everybody's wearing bathing suits, right? Hmm. You get in there and it's hot. And one of them was, I don't know how they heated it, but it was just hot. It had a big kind of mass and they tilt a thing and a lid opens and people will throw like a big scoop of water on it. Water in there. Usually it's rocks, but yeah. Yeah, no, this is big. This is a really big thing. Um, And so like the one in my apartment had rocks in it and it was like 
you know, three feet tall and like a foot in square. Mm-hmm. This looked like this is where you would cremate people. It's like a boiler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It looked like yeah. this is where you slide a body in to turn to ashes. It was big. Yeah. And so we would be in there and you're like, wow, it's hot, you know, but it feels good. It feels good. I'll get used to this. And you're like literally like your elbows are sweating. Everything is mm-hmm. moisture is just erupting out of you. And then yeah. somebody will flip the lid, which requires them to go downstairs. They flip it. A lid opens up top and somebody else takes this like little mini bucket, scoops water out of a bigger bucket, dumps it on it. Instantly, it's like 20 degrees hotter. And then they put another scoop on there and it's a nut and you're like, oh, it's hard to breathe. It's hard to breathe. And then one time they did a third scoop. If there were 25 people in the room, 22 of them left. Like it's, you can't. It's it's, just too much. It's so hot. But I think partly because it's so cold up there, you you don't get bone warm, just like wearing warm clothes or being indoors. So they, Mm -hmm. they go into these rooms and your core gets so warm. That people will walk outside. And I think the day we did it, it was eight degrees outside. I'm walking outside in a wet bathing suit, no other clothes on, completely wet and going, oh, thank God. Because it's so hot. And then you walk out, it's not that bad. And then you hurriedly walk along the deck and go down a ladder and plunge yourself in the Baltic Sea, Mm -hmm. which was 36 degrees. And I can tell you, other than... My tender bits, it never felt good on them, but everything else was fine, right? It's like, you know what I'm trying to say. No, I got you. And so me, my wife, and my daughter both did the plunge twice. So it wasn't so bad the first time that we didn't, we're like, okay, I checked the box. We're not doing that anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So highly recommend going to Finland this time of year. Christmas markets, snow, all of it. It's an experience for people like us. And a good schwitz. Yeah. Yeah, a good schwitz. All right. So so there you go. There's the story about the recent trip that I took. I'll put some information in the blog post if people want to explore for themselves. But I was thinking that it might be interesting, just kind of a quick hits on places that architects should go. If somebody asked you, Andrew, you know, I like architecture. Where should I go to just like really immerse myself? And I came up with five places just right off the top mm-hmm. of my head without even thinking about it. Where would you send somebody? Five places or just a few places or what? Just like a place. If somebody goes. Well, I mean, I would say there's Chicago, New York, big cities. I don't know. Yeah. Big cities for sure. My list had Rome, Paris, New York, Tokyo, Jakarta. Like, And I go, after a while, I was like, okay, basically the list. Yeah. You could have Sydney in it. Like every big city in every kind of continent and country in the world that's a good place to go like you can't go wrong there's more to do Mm -hmm. there than you will have time to do regardless of how long you stay there but if i had to pick one place one place for somebody to fall in love with architecture Mm -hmm. that was not in the united states because i will say my favorite u.s city for architecture chicago yeah mine too yeah hands down hands down for me I describe Chicago as a city that I could black bag you, just drop you anywhere, pull that bag off your head. Something amazing mm-hmm. you're going to be looking at. It. I don't care where it is. There's always something great in Chicago. But if I had to send people to one place to fall in love with architecture, it'd be Paris. Hmm. Interesting. Never been to Paris, so I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Well, you know what? I've had two people in my life tell me that they decided to go down this architectural path because they were in Paris. In Paris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like one of the guys was the, my buddy Matthew Quinn, the like rock star kitchen designer. You know, he was supposed to be a doctor. Everyone in his family's doctor. All his parents, all his grandparents, everybody's a doctor. And he's like, I don't want to be a doctor. And he like dropped out of school like on the first day and goes, it's not for me. <laughs> he made them mad. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I can't tell my parents, hey, I just dropped out of medical school because they're going to fly up there and re-enroll me. So he decided to fly to Paris and he called them from Paris to say, hey, this is what I'm doing. And they're like, no, you're not. And he goes, yeah, I am. So they cut him off. <laughs> they're like, all of a sudden he goes, none of my credit cards worked anymore. <laughs> and so he goes, so I, I called all my friends. I was like, can you send me some money? I got to get home. Yeah. Why? Well, so he spent a month in Paris. Wow. And w- while he was there, just walking around looking stuff, he goes, you know what? I think I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to. I want to design spaces. I want to design 
So he came back to be an architect. And then he found out how long architects had to be in school. <laughs> Changed his mind. Became a kitchen designer. And you know what? He's a spectacularly good one. Yeah. And when I was in Finland, I was in a hut after dog sledding. Remember I said I was in, me and my wife were one sled. My daughter was another one. Mm-hmm. The family that was in the third sled, he lives in the UK. And he's thinking, uh, he goes, I think I want to be an architect. Like I've been doing this for 10 years. And he's worried that he's too old. Right? I think he's like early 40s, and he's worried about how long it takes, and he's going to be too old. And I go, how did you make that decision? He goes, I was in Paris, trying to figure out what to do. And I was like, yeah. man, you were the second person in my life. That's funny. And both times, it wasn't like someone I interact with very much. They decided that because of Paris. Hmm. I've heard similar stories yeah. about Barcelona. Have you ever been to Barcelona? No, I have not, but that's on my list. That's where we were. If we were going to get to bucket list, that was going to be one of my places. That's a good one. I did a travel abroad thing when I was in college, and that was one of the cities we were in for about a week. Mm-hmm. There's so many amazing places to go look at. I think that that alone, that kind of passion, I go, as architects, it's like we're justified traveling. Like it's our, we're obligated to travel and to go look at things yeah. as opposed to, I just like it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's a way we can write off some of our travel too. Yeah, we need to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure some tax person can drop us a line and say, well, yeah, so just well, do this and you can write off part of it. I mean, I know as a company, we're allowed to have an annual executive retreat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Life of an Architect yeah. podcast. Yeah. Inc. So we just write it off doing that. This is our annual retreat. Yeah. Go to Bar. Well, we're supposed to go to Germany. Bavaria. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're supposed yeah. to go there. Yeah. Which, you know what? This is out of order. This is out of order, but. One of the questions I had written down to ask you was, are there activities you would like to travel somewhere to attend? And I will tell you, the thing that I put on my list is I want to go back to Munich with friends and family and do Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest. Oh, yeah. That's on my list. That was singularly one of the most amazing, fun things I've ever been a part of in my life. Mm -hmm. Everything about it was great. Almost to the point where I go, maybe I shouldn't do it again because it'll never like- how could it possibly be, as great be as it better? Could the first time, yeah. yeah. Everything about it was so much fun, and the people were great. Like even people that got bombed, and honestly, I didn't see that many people that got bombed. Nobody was gross or obnoxious, and it was just like a the biggest love fest party. Yeah, eating yeah. pork and drinking beer. It was amazing. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. Yeah. No. Yeah, I'd love to go do that. I'm telling you, you and I talked about trying to like we need to record an episode from, uh, but then the pandemic hit. Yeah. And it shot our wheels off. Yeah. It doesn't look like, I mean, maybe by next September, maybe, who knows? Golly, I'm telling you. Well, okay. So you brought up like architectural bucket list. I actually wrote a post about this, like, and and I think you and I actually talked about it. And then we had an episode of architectural bucket list. I looked earlier today, episode 25. Yeah. But that was also like, what architect do you want to hang out with and all that kind of stuff? I mean, it was a bunch of different things. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have a post where I said, what are five places I want to go to? Oh. Mm-hmm. And they were big. They weren't like little. I didn't go like, you know, this city in this place or this neighborhood. I went Norway. Yeah. You know, New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Iceland, Antarctica, and Japan. Those were the five that I put in there. And what, mm-hmm. was, what was interesting is all the places that I listed, with the exception of Japan, really, were remote, isolated nobody's around anywhere kind of places, which I thought was kind of interesting. And I think doesn't necessarily align with the public perception people have of me as wanting to be around people all the time. Because the truth is, is yeah, I know better. I love not being around people. Honestly. I know. Yeah. I know you do. People don't know that. Yeah. I think if I was going to do something like that, there's definitely like Asia or Malaysia Mm-hmm. those kind of places I'd like to go to and I mean Japan and then those bigger areas I don't know there's a part of me that I'd like to go to like Moscow even though I think it's crazy I'd still like to go and see it you know if you do go to Finland you're not that far from St. Petersburg yeah no, like I know. everybody up there speaks Russian like you're in Finland of course they speak yeah. English but a lot of them speak Russian as well because you're not you're not that far away from Russia interesting not that far from Russia yeah I'd like to go to like Ireland, Scotland. I know you've been, but I'd like to go there. Man, Ireland is such such a great place to go. And I love it. Literally with every fire. I've been a few times. Mm-hmm. Have never had a bad time. Now, even when my wife 
somehow locked the keys to our rental car in the trunk. And there was not the cable that lets you pop the trunk from inside the car. We had to hire someone. He had to take all the seats out of the car to try to get. I mean, it was the most ridiculous thing ever to get the keys. Still had a blast. Yeah. Even just that was fun. Drink beer at the pub while they're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. There's some of that. I would say there's a part of me that I'd like to go to Morocco. I think it seems really interesting. Parts of that area of Africa, but it's, I don't know. Well, Again. you're you're supposed to go to Egypt, see the pyramids. That's yeah, that's I your know. place. Yeah, yeah, that was one of my places. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a little hesitant to go to some places where everybody gets one square foot of space between them and the next person. Yeah, I know. I don't really like that either. I would like to go visit it, but maybe not very long. Maybe from there, I would drive out into the middle of the desert, <laughs> right, and be like, ah, oh, I got space. I know. I just need to breathe. Yeah, exactly. You know, something that we had kind of touched on earlier had to do with planning everything, you know, and how we plan our trips. And the last real trip that I was heavily, heavily engaged with planning was 12 years ago when we went to Paris. Mm. We brought my daughter, who was five years old at the time, to Paris. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And I had come up with this list of all the things I wanted to do. And then I geographically plotted them out. And I said, okay. This yeah. is how we can maximize all the stuff to see because there's so much stuff to see. Paris is an amazing place to go. So we're going to do something morning, midday, afternoon. We had three things we were going to do a day. And I thought that's manageable. That lasted one day. <laughs> and yeah. for like the last like two thirds of the day, I'm hauling my daughter around on my shoulder because she's like, I can't walk. I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was like, I'm not hauling my kid around for six hours on my back everywhere. So day two, we shifted everything to two things. We're going to do two things a day. And one was for me, or my wife, for the most part, good sport, architecture museum. Though We kind of put those in the same bucket. We're going to yeah. go to look at architecture, go to a museum, and then we were going to go to a park. That was That was the other thing that we would do. So my daughter could run around and chase birds and sail little boats in the pond and whatever it is. So one thing was for her, one thing was for us. And I wrote so many great posts, like one of the posts that I write, and I didn't mention it in today's post, even though, you know, I was talking about the role that my daughter's played and how looking back through her eyes, it kind of impacted how I view things as a a grown-up that maybe I don't appreciate because the evolution of how I think or process information was so gradual. But Mm -hmm. since my daughter literally is like a carbon copy of me. I can put myself in her shoes in any moment in that instance, and I can compare me at my age now versus her at her age and compare the two at that moment. And so there was a post I wrote called Through the Eyes of a Child, and it had to do with when we were in Paris and we're in these museums. And she was a good sport, but like 30, 45 minutes for a five-year-old in a museum, that's like, you're pushing it. Maxing it out. Yep. Yeah, they're yep. like, I don't want to, this is so boring. So I started carrying her around and we'd start having conversations about the paintings and it'd be like, what do you see? And what do you think those are? How many, those are stars. How many stars do you see? And me just asking her these little silly, easy questions allowed me to look at paintings longer than I would have if I was just holding her hand and asking her her to stand next to me. Right. Yeah. But she started coming up with like, oh, I like this. And oh, she looks sad. And I was like, why do you think she's sad? And well, somebody didn't come visit her. And I can, this had to do with one of the. Toulouse track paintings, you know, it's the woman sitting in the, I don't remember the name, but yeah, she's yeah, sitting yeah. in a bar and she looks kind of hammered and sad at the same time. <laughs> My daughter's like, she's yeah. so sad because somebody was supposed to meet her and they didn't come. And I was like, probably what he was, that's probably what happened. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so it was really great. We had to shift our patterns a little bit to accommodate what children are willing to do. And then once that happened, it fundamentally impacted every vacation we've ever taken since. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a similar thing with a non-architect person traveling with that. You just have to make adjustments, be able to find that balance. But I think you still manage to get, you get out of it what you can. And you just have to go into it with that mentality a lot of the times. Do you come back from your vacations recharged? Like, does it recharge your batteries <laughs> or does it make you like sad to come back or, you know? It just dep- sometimes both. I mean, it just depends on what the vacation was and where I was at and who I was with. I think it's such a variable. There are times where I come back and I feel like super recharged. And there are times when I come back and I'm like, well, I wish I'd never had to leave. (laughs) Like where I was at, you know? It's funny. 
every vacation I've taken, I'm ready to come home it's at, at the end of all of them. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean I didn't have a good time. Normally, I'm, I'm ready for there not to be an agenda. There's, I'm ready for their there's certain things. I want to sleep in my bed. And I want to eat my, I don't want to eat out all the time anymore. And yeah, I suppose, I, you know, the, but I mean like <laughs> after a week on the beach in the Caribbean where I didn't have to do anything and people are bringing me drinks and bringing me food and just laying there being a giant slob. That's nice. I, I kind of like that. I don't, I, I didn't want to yeah. leave that alone. Listen to the ocean, you know, that's a good stuff. Yeah. That's not bad. That's a good one. All right. So that's architects and traveling. I don't have a good way to summarize it. I do think if I didn't exist and just my wife was going on a trip, this is kind of a fun way to maybe end the show. I don't go shopping on vacation. <laughs> yeah. That is sounds like the least enjoyable thing you could possibly do when you're on vacation is to go shopping. I detest it. Every bit of it. And so- <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Do you like to go shopping at home? No. Okay, no. so that's a- <laughs> it, it makes it even worse on vacation. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I'll post a picture because it's pretty funny. So we're up at Santa's Village. They have some shopping up there, and one of the places they have, they have a. I'm probably going to say it wrong, like an Italia shop, uh, which is kind of a glassware kind of place. And they have a Mary Mecco, which is a very famous Finnish company, and they have this great pattern. You can buy it in, like on dresses and purses and bags and. And just fabric and making your own stuff out of it. Well, they want to explore these shops, and I'm good for five minutes. I'm like a kid in a museum, right? I, mm-hmm. I can take a little bit, but I just I can't do it. So I said, I'm going to go walk out, and just let me know when you're ready. So they're in shopping, and I'm walking around, and I'm looking at how they design stuff, and how tall is that? What's the spacing of the boards? I'm doing what the architect in me wants to do. Yeah. But I looked up, and they actually had a webcam there. And so I went out. And found where the, and there's a lot of people around. I went to where the webcam was and I'm looking at it on my cell phone and I see myself walk into the shot on the webcam. And I'm like, I'm going to screw around here. So I started like, I tried to hit a funny pose and then there was about a five second lag and I'd hit the pose and then I look at my phone and I'd try to do like a screen grab Screenshot. of me doing something stupid on the webcam. <laughs> This is how I entertained myself Yeah. while my wife and daughter were shopping. Shopping. And these people are, there's, like I said, there's families out there. And I, they're like, what is that guy doing? Because all of a sudden I'm striking a Saturday night fever pose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Let's get into the first would you rather of 2022. All right. All right. I think this one is somewhat travel related. So we'll just see how this goes. I think on the surface, this is not as easy as, as it first appears. Like there's an easy gut knee-jerk reaction answer, but then mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see where it goes. So here you go. Yep. Would you rather take an all-expenses-paid dream vacation every year for a month or have the job of your dreams? Okay, so you mean it's a month-long vacation every year? Every year. To wherever I want to go that year. All expenses paid for one month. Yeah. Or the other 11 months, I have the job of my dreams. The job of your dreams. So on the surface, you're really saying, do I want one month of something amazing or 11 months of something amazing? Yeah. That's the easiest way to kind of. Quantify it. Yes. Or break it down. Yeah. I don't know. However, my behavior and the fulfillment I get from 11 months of a great job is not the same sort of fulfillment that I would have if I could go anywhere on an all-expensive one-month vacation of, of my dream. Yeah, yeah, I know. So and I look at it this way. If you won the lottery, would you still work? It's kind of the same question. If the answer is no, then <laughs> yeah. I go, I think you should take the one month One month all vacation. the time, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. The only thing I think about is like, even though even though it's the job of my dreams or whatever career of my, it's still work. Work is work, right? It could, It's either great or it's not great. But even when it's great, there's still work, right? I mean, I don't think there's, I can't imagine even my dream job not having its bad moments. Right. Let me give you something to consider on that. Okay. Okay. 
when my dad retired, like three or four years after he retired, he was saying something which I thought was stupid. And <laughs> I was like, you're retired. You can do whatever you want. That was like my response. Mm-hmm. You know, as the idea is like, why don't you come visit me? I go, why don't you come visit me? I got two weeks vacation a year. You have every day. 52 weeks of vacation yes. a year. We started having, you know, retirement chat. I said, you're living the dream, right? Like you got enough money to be retired and still do stuff that you want to do. Yeah. And he goes, I miss it. And I go, what about it do you miss? And after a minute of thinking, his response was, I miss it when things go wrong and everybody has to like roll their sleeves up, work together in this kind of moment to achieve something, to like make Mm. something broken, not broken or make something bad and make it good. He goes, I don't miss the showing up and just doing the job, but I miss it when something went wrong. That kind of thrill, that kind of, he goes, that's what I miss. And it makes Ooh. me wonder if the only thing you're evaluating in your life is just the good moments, that it makes it not as great if you don't also kind of appreciate what the bad moments bring in context to the moments that aren't bad. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I get the gist of it. I, I didn't. I don't like the bad moments when things break because it's usually a pain in the butt. I like challenges for sure, but I don't like those moments. But I, I think, I mean, my gut reaction was a one-month thing. And I think, I think I would stick with that because I don't think, I don't think even if I like, I dream about winning the lottery all the time, I could have conversations about what I would do for hours, but I don't think I would not want to work in some capacity or do something productive. I just, I don't think that's in me. Yeah. If I won the lottery, I might take a year off, but after that, I get really bored. Yeah. Cause your, your job can't be spending money, right? Yeah. Like- we're educated enough to know that that can't be your job. Yeah. And so I would prefer to just have the one month of whatever my dream vacation was and then have a job. I mean, because if I wasn't trying to save up for a vacation or worried about that, like if that was guaranteed, some things would be better about my job, even if it was a terrible job. You know, I mean, it would be like, yeah, but three months from now, I'm going to whatever, the Maldives for a month. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I can see that. I can see that. I think that would take the one, because it's not saying I can still have this. Yeah. It's not saying if you take the one month, you have 11 months of hell. A terrible job. Yeah. I mean, it would just be like, I have my job I have now. And then my month in the summer where I'm not teaching, guess what? <laughs> I got a all expenses paid vacation to wherever I want to go. To me, that sounds fantastic. The question could kind of suggest that you're bartering one month of amazing for 11 months of amazing, right? And whatever one you choose, the other is not amazing, right? I don't know. Maybe it's just 11 months versus one. But again, my perspective on 11 months of work is to work. Yeah. Okay. So let's say, for example, to me, I think my ideal dream job would be to be a a toy designer. Like I would love to design toys. Really? Yeah. I think it'd be great. Isn't that interesting? And so I think even if I was doing that all the time, it would probably be, I would be happy, but it would still have its issues and its problems. And then I might not get a month of vacation, right? I might only get a week or two weeks or something. I just, I I think I would take the one month wherever I want to go. But that's also, I think, because I, even though I don't get to enough, I want to travel way more than I currently do. That idea of being in a month in one place is like so appealing to me. Because I've never been able to do that, spend a month here, and I could go to a different- Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something that we didn't talk about at all, but I think the longest vacation I've ever taken was 10 days. Yeah. Me too, probably. And I wonder, what would it be like to just like go somewhere for a month? There's this idea, this is why I like the idea that there being a month, because for the record, I would choose one month, because the truth is, is I think my job's pretty awesome as it is. It's not ideal. It's not perfect. It has its good days and its bad days. Mm-hmm. But the idea that you can go on a vacation long enough to not feel like you have to get up and do something with every moment. Get it all done. Is appealing. Yeah. I still remember like the difference between when I studied abroad and it was seven days a week, sun up to sundown, go, go, go. Because you thought, I may never get to see this stuff again. I may never get here again. Yeah, right. Yeah. It was just, it was grind. 
I went because I was burnt out of school when I went to take that trip. And I came back way more burned out than when I left. <laughs> you know, and it was, yeah, man, it was hard. That was a hard kind of mm-hmm. reinsertion process I had to go through. And when I went back and started traveling, especially when my daughter Kate showed up and everything had to slow down, mm. the idea of seeing the things around the thing that you went to see, like going someplace going, that's an amazing building. Let's have a coffee and just sit in this chair and watch people walk by and how they use the space or just just relax. Yeah. As opposed to, okay, check. What's the next building we got to walk through? Let's go to the next building. Yeah, yeah. So I, I like the one month aspect of it. And I'm sure that you could just totally go over the top and go, well, if it's all expense paid, man, I'm going to like the best restaurants. I'm going to wait. 300 pounds more when I get done at the end of every one month vacation. But I think for me, if I could have the one month off from work, like where I don't have to do any work, yeah, that's got to be part of the caveat for me. Yeah. Not a little bit of work, not a check-in kind of work, not a, it's like, yeah. y'all, I don't exist Nothing. for this yeah. month. Well, I think to me, the, the other thing, one of the reasons why I wish I could, I could travel more frequently maybe. I don't know how to phrase it. Like, I've never been interested in going on a 10-day vacation where you hit eight cities. You know, those kinds of things where you, like when you look to book travel sometimes, like I have as a single person, they're like, oh, you can go on this tour and we go all these places in seven days. And I'm like, oh, the idea of going somewhere and being there for a month, you can almost become like a local. You can kind of get ingrained in mm-hmm. everything that's happening. And that's a different perspective and one that I always like wanted when I travel is to go and stay somewhere and like soak it up and kind of learn what's what and find the things that aren't like super touristy and, and, you know, all that sort of stuff that really appeals to me about the whole one month period as well. Yeah. I wonder sometimes how different it would be to travel by yourself. I saw somebody list sometime that like that should be a bucket list item that every architect should do at least once in their life is go travel by yourself somewhere. Mm-hmm. And while I think that would be hard on me because I want to offload and onload what I'm doing and seeing with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like that's important to me. Like even when you, like when you and I got all the conferences and conventions, you know, one of the things I, I love by doing that is like you and I might go see a keynote speaker and I walk out and I say, X, Y, and Z, you go, well, I took it like this. And it, we start having this conversation and you go, oh, I didn't really think of it that way. That's kind of an interesting perspective. I wonder if that means that by yourself, I think you, you're missing out on that level of kind of enrichment that happens when you're traveling with another person. However, the being able to do what you want, when you want to do it, how you want to do it at times yeah. sounds pretty appealing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think for me, if I was more of an extrovert, I think traveling alone would be fine. But being the introvert that I am, I think the idea of the daytime or whatever would be great and going to see buildings and do this and do that. But when it came to have like dinner and some drinks kind of at the end of the day, that's where I don't want to be alone. And I want to be able to have that interaction and say, here's this or here's that and have a conversation as opposed to I'm not going to go into a a bar or a restaurant somewhere and strike up a conversation with the person sitting next to me because that's not who I am. If I was an extrovert person that didn't care, that could talk to a fence post. I don't know. My there's brother-in-law stuff, is that way. There's like, stuff <laughs> in between. Yeah, there's stuff in between. Talk to nobody and talk to anybody like because I can talk to a fence post. There's in well, between. I know, but still, there is in between, but I'm just saying. I think that's the difficult, more difficult thing for me as far as traveling alone. But yeah, I think being able to do what you want in the time frame that you want and just, if you wanted to meander down that alleyway for 35 minutes, you could do it, right? It doesn't matter. There's going to be an angry monkey coming around the corner if you go down that. That's a deep yeah. cut. That's a deep cut for some people. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right. I think we can wrap it up. We're well over an hour here. Yeah. And we both chose travel, actually. Yeah. We both chose the same one. And so strong start to 2022, my friend. Oh, God. I can't believe it's 2022. First one in the bag. Yep, All right. Yep. I enjoyed the conversation. I hope you did as well, but we're going to call it a wrap. So thank you for being with us today for episode 91, Architects and Traveling. (music) 
Special thanks to our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. If you like today's episode, please take the next 15 seconds and head over to your favorite podcast listening app and hit that subscribe or follow button so you can get freshly opened new episodes automatically downloaded every two weeks. While you're there, please consider leaving us a comment, and I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a five tickets to paradise rating. <laughs> Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from this glorious episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.